Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of How to Live the Podcast, where we have real, meaningful, and fun conversations with people who inspire us, and sometimes just with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Daron, and this week we have partnered with the Virgin Australia Melbourne Fashion Festival to deliver you an audio experience of this festival wherever you are in the world. We are chatting to designers, stylists, and entrepreneurs about the secrets to their success, how they've built their careers, and so much more. Today's episode, I'm kind of in love with this guest. Oh my God, he's amazing. He is so wonderful. He had us both feeling pretty emotional. Yeah, emotional about fashion. Like, I don't think people knew that that was real. No, but he is really real, really authentic, pretty incredible, and His brand journey, I feel like we are just going to see him go from strength to strength. So I'm pretty pumped that we managed to have him on at this stage in his career right now. So we're interviewing Paul Vasilev. He is the Australian fashion designer who founded Paolo Sebastian. He's also the head designer there. He's an internationally known atelier and he's based in Adelaide, which I like because I don't feel like we ever really interview anyone that are based in Adelaide. No, I feel like he's really set in the Adelaide fashion scene up between him and Australian fashion labels. Absolutely. So this one was like Live from the Vanth Plaza. So do excuse a little bit of a background noise, but I promise you it's the most wonderful conversation and you want to listen. So let's get into it. So we were very excited to hear from you whether you had a first fashion memory. I think my first fashion memory would be around my nonna sewing with her. I think that that's one of the main reasons why I started is because she used to babysit me and looking at the inside of things that she would make. And even now I look at them and they're just so beautiful that the hand overlocking that she would do on all the seams and just really intricate work. And she just took so much pride in her work and the garments were just as beautiful on the inside as they were on the outside. So just being around her, being around the fabrics at a very young age. And then also I used to go into dad's shed and get scrap pieces of wood and make mannequins for things that I would make for my friends out of wrapping paper and newspaper and scrap fabric that I would get from Nonna. And that was around like age three that I would do that because I used to watch Disney and things and be inspired by that. Wow. You sound like you were such a little creative genius (laughs) at three making mannequins out of wood. And how special is that to be able to have those kind of experiences with your nonna and have those memories? I feel like it's the kind of things that when you're young, you can take them a little bit for granted. Yeah. When you're talking about that, I'm having flashbacks to our version of that, which is nowhere near as fabulous, but it's instead of nonna, it's meme because French. Yeah. And my grandmother, Meme, used to make me costumes to wear to bat mitzvahs. Oh, but wow. they were like, a mermaid tail. And the stitching oh, the was very like... the mermaid costume was amazing. Yeah. like, And it wasn't like any haute couture, but, you know, it's still just like such a special experience yeah. that you can share with your grandmother and, and learning those things as a kid is just pretty incredible. Yeah. I know that I'm very lucky. And even now with my nonna, I'm so fortunate. She's so with it and so very learned. So whenever I travel now, she'll tell me about where I'm going and you know, the history of that place and the capital city and all the things that happened there. 
So I have a, a really great relationship with her and I'm so grateful for she that. She must be very, very <laughs> proud of you. Yeah, no, she is. And she is like, you know, every time I'm in the newspaper or anything, she's always calling me to say that, you know, I'm in the newspaper again and she's kept the article for me. Oh, so. that's so nice. Sometimes our grandpa will do that and he'll like send us the clipping in the mail. <laughs> like, he's like the only snail mail we ever get is our grandfather sending us articles of oh. ourselves. <laughs> Which is a hilarious fact. <laughs> so at age 11, most people are making arts and crafts out of popsicle sticks. But it sounds like you were doing that when you were three. <laughs> so by well, the not time, even really. Yeah, yeah, you were more advanced than that at three. So by the time you were 11, you were making your first design for a friend. Mm -hmm. What did it look like and how did you know how to make it? So it was a bias cut asymmetrical dress with like a cow neck with this diagonal seam and a split. And it was lavender and it was in polyester satin and polyester um, chiffon, <laughs> um, which we saw in, in a magazine, my friend and I, and I said, you know, why don't we try making it? And so my nonna helped me make it. And we went and bought the fabric and step by step, she walked me through the process of, of making this dress. And funnily enough, I've actually seen that same design now come back in fashion in the same color and it's been at DJs and, and everywhere, really. So no it's really way. funny. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm definitely a big fan of lavender at the moment. So I see that that could be coming back in. Yeah, it was a really nice color. Like, uh, you know, and for the time, it was it was very fitting. So what is that like 10, 15 years later now? It's just like suddenly come back. Uh, a, a few more than 10, 15 years, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you look young, so I was just guessing. So we were really interested to read about your career because you did study fashion in Italy. And, you know, we're sure at that point in your life, you could have gone to Europe and gotten a job in the many different couture houses there are there. But you just decided to come back to Adelaide and start your own label. Why did you decide to take that route? I think going to Italy in the first place, I, I was very fortunate to be accepted there on scholarship, but I kind of went a little bit begrudgingly because I'm a real homebody and I get very homesick. And I always, my dream was to go to Milan. That was all I wanted to do, but I never wanted to stay there. I wanted to go for a holiday <laughs> and I wanted to see Rome. I wanted to see Paris, but I had always said that I never wanted to leave Adelaide. So I was very apprehensive at the prospect of moving away for so long because I had so much support over the years. I thought it was kind of like a disservice to everyone to not go. And plus I had been given this amazing opportunity, especially on scholarship. So I went, but I was literally counting down every day until I could come home. So even before we graduated, one of my lecturers, I, and I had an amazing experience there. Like all my lecturers were working in industry. So my illustrating teacher was the illustrator for Gucci. Pattern making teacher was a pattern maker for Dolce & Gabbana. The knitwear design teacher was the knitwear designer for Prada. So they would give me like invites to the shows. So I got to go to the Versace runway. I got to go to uh, Naomi Campbell's 25 year anniversary party at Dolce & Gabbana. My work was chosen to be shown in London Fashion Week, so I got to go to London Fashion Week. And so then one of my lecturers sat me down before graduation and said, you know, I think we should start talking about what you want to do and what houses you want to apply at because we can help you with the application. And it's like straight away I was like, thank you. But I've actually already booked my ticket home. I didn't even wait for graduation. I was out of there. I couldn't wait to come back. And I've gone back since and I love Milan and I actually miss Milan. 
but my home is Adelaide and I knew from the beginning that I wanted to run my own brand and I wanted to do it from home. And as I thought, as far as I can get with it, if I'm stuck in my parents' lounge room on the you know lounge room floor, cutting and sewing, so be it. Because I, lo- I love my work and I love what my what I do. And if, if it happens to work out, then great. And thankfully, it kind of is. It's getting there. It's like, you know, it's nowhere near where I envisage the brand to be, but it's on the right path, let's say. You're doing all right. (laughs) I love that story so much because you could so easily just completely glamorize the situation and be like, yes, you know, I was living in Italy and I was going to Gucci and Versace and whatever, but you're so honest in saying I am a real homebody and I actually just really enjoy being around my family. So it's pretty amazing that I feel like if I was in that situation, I would just feel so much bloody pressure and be like, okay, I'll just do what everyone else wants me to do, you know, but the fact that you were able to stick to your guns is like pretty admirable. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I would go to these amazing things and I'd have no one to share it with. You know, I made some great friends there, but everything that I did, I couldn't wait to get back home and Skype home. And I think I was calling home more than I I do now. (laughs) And I'd, I'd call my friend's parents. I would call everyone that I possibly could to share this with. Yeah, and you obviously followed your heart and you did what was truly going to make you happy. And I think a lot of the time it can be easy to chase the success and not really be true to yourself. So that's pretty bloody awesome and something I think we should all be doing more of is just really listening to ourselves and following where our heart is. So then you did come back to Adelaide and started your own label. Yes. What were some of the challenges associated with that? I'm sure you were like, oh, yeah, I'll start my label. Like, that'll be easy. And then you dove in and you kind of learn so many things as you go. So I launched Paolo Sebastian in 2007. And that was actually my final year of high school. So I had started Just a casually. few before, but yeah. I was, you know, like I mentioned, I was in my parents' lounge room and I was, it wasn't really where we are now. And I think, you know, coming back from Milan, I took some time off when I got back just to kind of reassess and reevaluate what I wanted to do with the brand, where I wanted to take it, because I had already started working with private clients and I knew that, you know, couture was definitely the pathway that I wanted to take. But within Australia, you know, like I was being told constantly that couture doesn't exist in Australia. There's no such thing as couture industry here. If you want to work into couture, you're going to have to go interstate or more so overseas and you know I really wasn't interested in hearing that so I thought I'm going to try and apply everything that I've learned in my time in Milan and just adapt it and make it work for Adelaide and hopefully Australia. Can I just ask you what actually is couture like before we kind of get into that nitty-gritty because like my boyfriend asked me last night and I like told him like I started explaining to him and in my head I was like I'm doing such a bad job of this (laughs) I know I'm saying the wrong things but he doesn't know so I'll just go with it (laughs) well so basically couture is about custom made so it's garments that are made to the highest level for clients so you can have couture bathers. You could have a couture shirt. It's not, I think a lot of people have this perception that couture is like an elaborate ball gown, but it's not the case. You can have something super basic like a a tailored suit, but it's about the process of being designed and made for the client. So in couture or in the fashion industry, I guess you can sort of look at it in a way like a pyramid. At the very top, you have haute couture. So that's brands that are certified by something called the Chambre Syndicale de la Haute Couture. So that's the governing body. 
that decides who has these, I guess, like certification, sort of like a Michelin star is the best way to describe Excellent. it. That's good. So that's your brands like Dior, Chanel, Valentino, those brands that present haute couture every season in Paris. So that's in July and January. The tier below that is your couture designers. So they're the designers that don't have that accreditation. And even within Haute Couture, there's the three levels. So you have Grand Couturier. So that's your Dior and Chanel. They're brands that are French brands and they are based solely in Paris. Below that, you have your corresponding members. So that's your Valentino, Armani, Versace. They're brands that are foreign brands, but still have offices in Paris and showcase in Paris. Then you have your invited members like Ralph and Russo and Duhi Murad and um, newer brands that are breaking into Haute Couture, but they have to, I guess, do their time to get that corresponding membership. So that in itself is its own thing. So then your couture is any brands, like I guess that we fall into that category, brands that produce couture for clients that have the couture collections, but they are not yet certified. And then you have your high fashion ready to wear, Altamoda, and then your mainstream ready to wear that and, you know, that trickle down effect. Okay. So that's the industry overview, I guess. It's pretty fascinating. And running a brand isn't just about creating these gorgeous pieces, although as creatives, sometimes we definitely wish that it were. (laughs) So you are this massive creative. Do you also have the business skills or have you brought someone in to help with that businessy stuff? I definitely have an amazing, amazing team around me, which is sort of built over the years because I'm a very creative person and I don't have, I have learned over the years, but instinctively I don't have those business skills, I guess. But I, I've learned them, but I'm very much driven by my creativity. So I won't make the best financial decisions sometimes because I want to do what's pretty and I want to do what's exciting. But thankfully, I have so Chanel, who is in our team. She's been with me for eight, nine years now. And she's one of my best friends. And she is our manager of operations. So she tells me when the fabric's too expensive or when I need to, you know, put. she gives me budgets and, and things like that. So that's been a really great help. Oh, we all need a Chanel in the team. Oh, uh, yeah. Everyone needs a shit. Yeah, because everybody needs a creative as well. And you can never be everything to everyone. And we learned that as well. We weren't naturally the business people. Jess kind of looks after with our footwear label tubes, the design side of things Mm. and the manufacturing. And I do more of like the marketing side of things. But we were like, we need other people who are going to be thinking about the numbers. Because like you said, sometimes it's good to have that balance where you can just think, what is going to look amazing, what is going to be beautiful, and somebody else can be thinking, okay, let's keep this within a certain budget. Yeah, and I mean, like Sarah, who deals with all the logistics, but she's the first person that the clients meet. So I love talking with Sarah about what people are inquiring about first so we know what's working, what the client's like, and CC deals with all of the media side of things. And then Miri is our production manager, so she deals with making sure that everything gets made on time. Sally does the fittings with the client. So the team all up is about 19 staff. So yeah, it, it takes a village really to get us where where we are. For sure. And, you know, we've loved watching you guys grow more and more. And Thank you. You've got 800,000 followers on Instagram now. <laughs> it's a bit crazy. Which is pretty incredible. How do you even get that many followers these days? <laughs> it's taken crazy. a while. <laughs> yeah, how have you gone about growing that Insta following? It's been really organic, honestly. Like every time we launch a collection, so we collaborated with Disney a few years ago. And I remember when we launched that, our following just blew up and it was going up by a thousand a day. 
Wow. Just from the circulation of those images, it was insane. That's incredible. And I think goes to really show the power of collaboration, right? Like yeah. sometimes people are so focused on the one thing like, okay, grow Instagram, but sometimes you've got to let that go and look at the bigger picture. And by doing something else, it then ends up feeding back into your social media following. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the reality of it is that although we are in Australia, Australia is a very small market particularly for couture and 40% of our couture clients are actually based in the Middle East. So, you know, having that connection to our clients internationally is so important for our brand and having that reach. So that's why, you know, social media, I think for any business is so important today. Absolutely. Have you found that your social media following has really added a lot to your brand awareness? Definitely. For example, when Pinterest first came out, I didn't have Pinterest and I didn't have Instagram. And we had done a runway show in Sydney with our Swan Lake collection. This is back in 2011. And this is when I was still in my parents' lounge room. And I started getting all these emails from people in New York. And at first I thought it was like a, a scam. But then I kept getting more and more and people were really persistent. And I said, you know, sorry, I'm, have you heard of us? And it turned out that someone had put our runway images onto Pinterest and they had tens of thousands of shares and likes. And so I quickly downloaded Pinterest and made it, made an account and made an Instagram account and it, it kind of exploded from there. So that's how we broke into the international market was because of Pinterest because I think in 2012, that image was one of the most pinned wedding dresses for the year. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, Pinterest is one that we've never really been able to crack. Like I feel like if you can crack it, it's great, but we don't really have our finger on the pulse when it comes to what does well on Pinterest. It's hard. It's like, how do we replicate that? I don't know. Yeah. We had a very lucky moment. Well, and it's really cool when that kind of happens organically. Like you were focused on beautiful pieces and your runways and then it kind of, found its way onto Pinterest. It reminds me of actually before we'd even started our blog, people used to come up to us and be like, you're those girls from Tumblr. And we were like, are we? <laughs> I was <laughs> like, what's a Tumblr? Yeah, we like, didn't know. What? So we'd gone to New York Fashion Week and people had taken photos of us and this one That's photo amazing. of us had gone totally viral on Tumblr. It was when I was 18 and it was like our dream to go to New York Fashion Week. So like we were in New York with our mom for Steph and our mom's birthday and then it was on and we were like oh we'll just try and get tickets so we like got tickets one day like standing room and we weren't even in great outfits to be totally honest but yeah people were calling us the sisters from Tumblr and it was a pretty great photo. Yeah so you just kind of never know you do your thing and the rest will kind of follow a lot of the time like you put in the hard work and Things like that often just fall into place. You need that photo framed in your house, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were really excited as well when we were looking at your designs because something that we often like to talk about is we love emerging designers. Designers that are like fresh yeah. out of uni at VAMP. They have the National Graduate Showcase, which is always our favorite show because there's over-the-top crazy things, so much color, so much fun. And then it's kind of once those designers graduate and they get jobs at the places in Australia that are available for designers, they kind of get the creativity beaten out of them a little. And we have this with our shoe label tubes as well. It's like people just yeah. want to buy black. They don't even want to buy fun black. They just want black. So we were really inspired by the fact that you didn't let that get to you and you were like, nah, I'm not doing this commercial stuff I'm gonna like stick to my guns and like go this really high fashion route well thank you I mean look yeah it is hard because it, that doesn't necessarily translate into sales all the time 
And that's where I definitely feel a lot of pressure every season because it's like, if this collection doesn't do well, I impact the business and everyone that works in it for the next six months or even more than that. So it is hard. I just have to rely on the fact that the clients are hopefully going to like what we produce. And I think that's the wonderful thing about Couture is that it's driven by creativity. Whereas, you know, we eventually do want to do ready to wear as well, which means another two seasons or, or four or more. I mean, I don't want to go that crazy with it, but that's when you do really have to consider more the commercializations of things. And that's where you have to be a little bit safer because you're driven by the sales. But I got into this business not to make money, but because I love it. And I feel like the fashion industry is not one that necessarily get rich from. Not anymore. <laughs> I'm happy doing it because I, I love doing it and I love the work and I love the fabric and I love designing. So we'll see where it takes us. But I think definitely I agree. Like the students coming out of study, that that's my favorite time because you are free to just create. And every time I'm doing a new season, I just try and go back to those roots and, and why I started designing and what inspires me. And I kind of let that kind of just guide me for the season. Yeah. And I definitely think you can feel that creativity shine through what Thank you're you. making. You know, it doesn't seem like it's just a dress for a dress sake. It feels like a piece of art more. Thank you. Evident well, by the fact that it's in the NGV right now as well. <laughs> We'd love to hear a little bit about where you find your inspiration from and how you use that to inform your collections because they are so creative. Inspiration can come from anywhere. Like I said, we collaborated with Disney a few seasons ago. That was for our Once Upon a Dream collection. I had been wanting to make that collection pretty much my whole life. And the way that it actually came about was because Mary Costa, who's the voice of Princess Aurora in 1959 Sleeping Beauty, I wrote to her many, many years ago and just said, I want to thank you because your film has been inspiring me throughout my whole life and your song and your music and your voice and I just wanted to say thank you because we were moving offices at the time and I was just I guess reflecting on my journey and where I had been and I just felt for some reason that I wanted to write to Mary and sent off the letter didn't think I would ever hear from her but then one day I got this phone call and Mary was on the other line and she was so sweet and we just hit it off and we kept in touch and she would send me Valentine's Day cards and birthday messages and she's just like the sweetest lady and like true embodiment of a Disney princess. So I knew that, you know, our 10 years was coming up and I really wanted to do something special for our anniversary. And I thought, you know, Disney has been the most inspirational thing for me my whole life and one of the reasons I started designing. And wouldn't it be great to finally do a collection inspired by Disney? And I didn't want to just do an inspired by collection. I wanted to do like a proper collaboration. So I got in touch with Mary and she said, yep, leave it with me. And then pretty much the next day I had a phone call from the head of Disney publicity in the States. And they said, Mary, shown us your website and videos. And she said that she had some ideas and we feel you that'd be a great fit for our brand. So they invited me over to the States and I got a private tour of Walt's office and, and the archive and everything. And they were just super accommodating and super excited. And that for me was just the most amazing thing. So they gave us um, licensing to use the lyrics from all the Disney songs on the dresses. So in that collection, I really looked at pretty much every Disney film that 
I had a connection to and any moments in those films and any iconography in those films that I had a connection to and I designed the embroideries and the dresses and the colour palette around that and even the set. So I remember watching Snow White and hearing the finale song and immediately I imagined the runway and the girl with the veil and it had Happily Ever After on it and the petals falling. I don't know, when, when it hits, it hits and you can see it. So when we did our Swan Lake collection... I was out at a concert and I heard the score for Swan Lake. And instead of seeing the orchestra, I immediately imagined a runway and I saw the model walking out with her hair, her makeup, the dress, even her shoes, how she was walking, the way the dress was moving. And as soon as I got home, I had to sketch it out. So it just sometimes it just comes. Wow. Really incredible. But it I... doesn't always go that smoothly. Oh, totally. Sometimes you have to tweeze it out a bit more. But... And that's everything in the creative industry, right? Like you can't just be like, okay, idea, hit me right now. Like yeah. You just got to wait for that moment. But firstly, I love that for you, the homework for the Disney collection was watch all the Disney movies yeah, ever made. It was the like, best homework ever. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. But I also love how it's a really heartfelt story of you reaching out to Mary and the emotion that you obviously like bring to your work and how genuine you are. I really feel like that is obviously such a big part of why you are successful, like just really authentic. And what a beautiful thing to do to just like reach out to Mary to thank her like that. And I feel like when you put those kind of things out into the world, they end up bringing things back to you like a Disney collection. So, you know, I feel like if you go out there and you're like, right, I'm going to get a Disney collection and hustle for it, it doesn't always happen, but it's really pretty amazing that you're just like really being true to you. Thank you. We couldn't sit down with you, Paul, without having a bit of time to talk about celebrities because to be honest, (laughs) we love celebrities. Um, Anyone who listens to our podcast will know we have been known to chase them around. (laughs) So your gowns have been worn on some of the biggest celebrities when I was reading about it. I couldn't believe it. Like Kim Kardashian, Hayley Steinfeld, Poppy Delevingne, just to name a few. So what's been the craziest celebrity moment you've had where you've just totally died? I think, well, the one that stands out to me probably the most is Poppy Delevingne because that was for the NGV Gala. Yeah, and you guys were like besties together. Yeah, it was so much fun. And she, I can't tell you how lovely she is. Just the most incredible person. So down to earth and so much fun. And, you know, I got to go on the red carpet with her and just creating that dress for her was just such a wonderful experience. And, you know, I don't normally get to do those things like walk on a red carpet. So being on the other side of things, I mean, that's not what I got into this for and that's not my main objective, but it certainly was fun doing that with her and she made me feel very calm and very at home during that experience. And then also another one that jumps out is um, when we dressed Katy Perry. She wore our Cinderella gown from the Disney collection, which had the lyrics to So This Is Love. And she sang um, When You Wish Upon a Star outside the Disney castle in Disneyland. And were you there when she sang? No, unfortunately I wasn't there. Okay. But, but you, it's you saw the video. One of my favourite moments. Though. Yeah, wow. So the theme of the festival this year, as you may have heard, is Fashion's Wonderland. Yes. So we wanted to ask you if you could create Paul's Wonderland, <laughs> where would it be? Who would be there with you? And what would you be doing? That's a hard one. Everybody says that's a hard one. You know, we thought, we wrote this question for everyone this week thinking, oh, this will just be an easy fun and easy fun chill. Yeah, and it's really made people think, which we like. I think, or on the theme of Disney, I think it'd have to be something circulating around Disneyland and fantasy and fun. There'd be cakes involved. So things to know about me is I love Disney and I love cakes. 
And that's pretty much all anyone needs to know. Yeah, great. You mentioned earlier, we were like, what do you have for lunch? You were like, cakes, different cakes. <laughs> what flavors your favorite? So in Paris, there is a patisserie called La Durée. Because I'm very fortunate we get to showcase in Paris every, every July for Couture. And I go to La Durée every day and I get this particular cake. It's called the Saint-Honoré Rose. And if anyone looks it up on Google, it's the most beautiful cake. They were actually featured in the Marie Antoinette film by Sofia Coppola. Laderay did all the cakes for that film. I love that you said you get it every day. I thought you were going to say it, I get it every trip. No, no. But no, every, every, every day. day. We've actually been to the Laderay on the Champs-Élysées yes, and that eaten one. upstairs there. And it's so cute. I'm like, they have Laderay here now, but it's, it's just not, not the it's same. Not no, so the first, my team and I, the first thing that we do when we get to Paris, we drop our bags off at the hotel and we walk down to Laderay. We have a hot chocolate and... I get my cake. That's amazing. I always do one day where I eat only cake in Paris. <laughs> we haven't tried that. We will have to. We love also cake in our team. Like, got to tell you, our team is like big cake people. Most people have Friday Arvo drinks or whatever. You We're just like, no, Friday Arvo cake. <laughs> Jessica was literally saying to me today, like, my friends and I, we just don't align because like for them, they want wine and chips and it's five o'clock and I want tea and cake. What kind of cake? Chocolate. Definitely chocolate. Strictly. Flourless chocolate. Delicious. So Paul's Wonderland, are we in Disneyland? We're eating cake. We're in Disneyland eating cake. And I think everyone's there. Friends, family, everyone. Awesome. I love that. So if people are interested in hearing more about you and your label, where can they find you? So they can look us up on our Instagram, which is paolo underscore Sebastian, or on our website, which is just www.paolosebastian.com. Awesome. Well, we're so glad we got to chat to you. And we're actually going to be in Adelaide in a couple of months because both our boyfriends are running the Adelaide Marathon. Oh. True. Well, when you're there, come and see us. You can come and have a private tour of the Tillier oh. and meet the team and see how the dresses are made. We will definitely take you up on that. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. So if you did like this episode, we would just love to ask you to help us to get the word out on this podcast because you guys are our listeners and through you spreading the word, it's how we gain new listeners. So you can do that in a few ways. You can leave a review in the podcast app. You can share the episode with a friend and do snap a pic of you listening and share it on Instagram and make sure you tag us at how to live. And also make sure if you do want to join our community and get more bonus content and have a chat with us, please head on over to Facebook and join How to Live the Podcast, the Facebook group. Tomorrow morning, we will be back in your ears for an incredible chat with the Elise Tran, founder of The Daily Editor. That one is going to be recorded from the David Jones Burke Street window. And we're pretty excited to be chatting to Elise for the second time. She is a brilliant, brilliant businesswoman. So that one is going to be chock full of incredible tips and insights into how she's built such an amazing brand. That'll be on the podcast tomorrow morning. Until then, have a wonderful evening. Don't miss us too much in the 12 hours that we're not in your ears. Bye. See ya.